Welcome to another episode of the Broken Road Podcast. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss writing and the journey of healing. All right, another fun week of the Broken Road Podcast. This week we're talking about one of the near and dear subjects that brought us together more recently um, and brought us to the podcast, and that is writing as a form of healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, so Rachel's probably the better writer of the two of us. No. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. 100%. Um, no. <laughs> but Rachel brought me into a group. We're both in a, a writer's group mm-hmm. um, because we both write to heal. Mm-hmm. But we write differently. Yeah, different different genres and styles, definitely. Right. So yeah. I'm writing, I write blog posts more. Not a lot, mm-hmm. but different style of blog posts. Mine are more just like the what's in my thoughts, like mm-hmm. verbatim what's in my thoughts, right? Yeah. Um, and then I'm working on a book. Mm-hmm. Which is exciting. Which which morphs as mm-hmm. I as I'm writing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and recently that's again changed shape. Um, and so I did get some writing done yesterday. A Yay. little bit. Um, but that was more more like outline stuff for mm-hmm. the writing, right? So yeah. setting up the new structure. Um, which was good. I mean, it's a step, right? Um, and in the process. Um, so, um, but you want to write a book. Mm, yeah. I've got a funding application in actually at the minute, which would be, it would be life changing. My friend is helping me with it. He's a writer as well. So he does, um, he's mixed dramas actually. He does crime writing. So he's working on a detective series at the minute. But he's also a spoken word person, the same as me. Although we were chatting today about genres because obviously, as we talked about boxes, <laughs> the creative industries is no exception. They love to put us in boxes. So it's almost like, who are you as a writer? Instead of just saying, I am a writer. Right. We have all these boxes that, that people try to classify us as. And me and him were talking about this because obviously my thing is poetry, but I do write prose, but it's very much around spoken words. So everything that I write is meant to be spoken and heard um, as, a, as a spoken word experience, which is how we traditionally would have shared stories. They wouldn't have been written down. They would have been passed on verbally and memorized. And that's how the stories would have been told. So it to me, it's one of the oldest forms of writing in a way. Right. Um, a way of, well, maybe not writing, but storytelling. So that's what he says. He, he writes short stories. Some of them are like three words long. <laughs> And then some are 100,000 words long, but he just calls them all short stories. He just said, I write short stories and they vary. So for him, that means poetry or, or novels. But me and you, I think, into like uh, kind of different styles, aren't we? Yeah, very different. You're you're definitely more poetic with your wording. And I think that really like goes back to like our masks too. I'm very much more analytical and polished with my writing. Mm-hmm. It's very, very detail polished writing, right? Mm. But that's my mask. That's who I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where you're more 
creative, artistic, and that's really who you are, right? So that really, mm -hmm. it comes down to our personalities and who we are. And, and, but I mean, that's just what makes us uniquely us and mm. why writing. Why, yeah. I describe why, myself as feral writer. That's how I, cause I, I thought I did actually study English up until A, A level and I nearly did go and do an English degree because I wasn't sure at that point what I wanted to do with my life. And I remember my mom and dad saying, well, get an English degree. Cause I studied English um, language and literature. Like I love Shakespeare. Like that sounds really posh saying that, doesn't it? But what I liked about it was that <laughs> it was um, all the underlining meanings and metaphors and imagery and actually not just taking it at surface value, but going right into that and trying to, it's almost like philosophy that the deeper meaning of everything and searching for the deeper meaning hidden within in the, the words. And I love that you could take this um, storytelling at different levels. Um, and I, I did enjoy that. But I remember coming back from, it was whole university I'd gone to for my interview and I just felt sick to my stomach and I didn't know why. And I was only 18 and trying to put such a strong feeling into words was really challenging because I didn't know I did I couldn't I didn't even know myself to tell myself what was going on it right. was just a real gut feeling of this is not right um and I ended up following the path through uh, art and, and visual art and then um poetry came back into my life and it actually is in amongst my visual art people don't realize it's there because it's hidden but you would have to destroy the artwork to be able to get to the poetry that's hidden inside it. And I feel like that poetry was um, like a soul felt heart connection with the place that I was exploring through my visual art. So it's me almost writing a love letter to the place where this art was created that nobody knows about but me and the artwork and, and the space. So... Yeah, it's, I did ask my mum and she, I said to a while ago and I said, what did you think I was going to be when I grew up? And she said, a poet. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, you were always writing poetry when you were younger and then you just suddenly stopped. And this is before I'd started writing spoken word poetry again. Right. A few, a few years before. And I, so I hadn't even thought about it. And then just suddenly it came back into my life. Through processing trauma, actually, was really when it, it started to take hold. So, Which is really where both of us started writing was to heal. Mm -hmm. we, we really used that as our outlet for healing mm -hmm. through to, to get through some of the things that we have been through in life. Mm, definitely. Um, yeah. And it's been, it has been helpful. Um, yeah. Sometimes it is overwhelming. Yeah. And I have to mm -hmm. put into words some of the things that I've been through, that's hard. Mm -hmm. That's really hard. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the same thing. They're big emotions. Like right back to even that experience of coming back from the university, there's a really deep felt good instinct attached to an emotion that we didn't, I didn't have the words for it. It was just something that was felt. And this is through creative writing and the practice of writing that we're trying to um, unearth those feelings and create thoughts and a story and language from that so that we're able to process that and tell that story for ourselves but also for other people as well to hear I, I think for me I think in the time that I was going through some of the traumas I didn't have the ability to understand completely or give words to what I was feeling mm -hmm. that I can now and I can very accurately articulate all of the emotions, all of the feeling, 
I, I can almost like an out of body experience while mm-hmm. I'm writing, see myself going through mm-hmm. everything that was happening and be able to go, this is how I was feeling. This is what I saw. This is what was happening. This is how it made me feel mm-hmm. where in the moments that they were happening, I wasn't able to, to grasp what was, mm-hmm. what was going on and, and how it was affecting me. And yeah, you know, so. I, I found it was definitely, uh, I was able to go deeper into exploring those experiences and also what they say in trauma counseling is like hotspots or triggers. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I couldn't, I could stay in the, that space, that trigger for a lot longer than I could when I was doing trauma counseling. So trauma counseling for me was just like talking it through and telling that story once, <laughs> which to say that story out loud for the first time to anyone, when I got to the end of it, I remember looking at the counselor and just saying, whoa, what, what was that all about? That was, that is a crazy story. It really is. And he was like, hmm. and, well, and it's the first time I've told it. Howie and I were just talking last night, you know, and we were talking about, you know, our time in the military and I caught myself, we were talking about it and I was like, so there's this funny story. And I was like, actually, it's not funny, mm. right? It's, it's really yeah. not a funny story, but mm-hmm. we've trained our brains, mm-hmm. those of us that have been through it, mm. we we tricked ourselves into thinking that this was a funny story or that this was, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like we changed it so that it didn't seem as traumatic or it didn't, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we, we made humor out of things that were not humorous in order to dumb. Survive it. it is. You have to, right? yeah. it's, it's survival. Mm-hmm. And, and I caught myself last night when we were talking about it and I was like, man, it's that, it's not a funny story. Like, no. wow. Like, so I'm starting it. I'm getting to the point where I'm really recognizing these things and um, being able to write them down is being completely helpful because I don't, I don't have to physically say them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just me and this piece of paper. Right. So mm-hmm. nobody else has to yeah. hear it. Yeah. And um, so that's kind of a good way of letting it out. I get to let out this story without having to tell it to somebody else right and this is i was discussing this with one of the the writers in the the the, the international writing group that we're part of which is wonderful so we've got like a little s- smaller subgroup within that and i was talking to the one of the writers there and i said to this is something that we just dis- i've discussed with on a personal level with one of my other friends who's a writer and when i was starting out and i could see she was she, again she was using creative writing to pr- process a big trauma in her life and she'd written this story down and then she wasn't sure what to do with it next and I said but this is the thing so for me there's always like the first stage is actually to just get that story out and you're right it might not be ever meant to be shared or, or told to anyone else like it is literally just between your mind you're giving your mind space to talk to you and for you to really hear what's going on and to really see that story, like you said, or from, a, from being able to step out and say, this is, this is the story what happened. And sometimes that's enough. And then sometimes I have some friends where they will share that story once. So they will literally maybe stand up at an open mic night if they feel it needs to be a publicly told story. Or they will just tell that story to a friend like you and Howie talking. Or it 
it might be for some of us then, which is where me and you are at, is actually this story is meant to go further. It's almost like a message, um, a story that I want to use to help the world, to help other people to heal, that this is a story that will be told over and over, maybe in different forms, but as a way to actually make a change in the world. And that's what I would like this story to be. So sometimes as writers, I think figuring out where that story sits in each of those and that's what I was saying to this other writer because you didn't know yet and I was like well maybe just give it space and think it might just be that you only need to write this for yourself it might not ever be told but she's processing a trauma actually from her childhood yeah um yeah it's really powerful stuff sometimes you don't realize like how long you actually have tucked things away right Mm -hmm. and and like we've talked about before you know you don't always necessarily you hear you know, you can't always, um, it, it's nobody's fault how long it takes you to process something, right? It, it's mm-hmm. it's not up to other people. Like they can't tell you that it's been too mm-hmm. long for you to still be hanging on to something. Mm-hmm. But at some time there has to be some self-accountability to say, you know what, I've been hanging on to this for so long because mm-hmm. I refuse to process it and I refuse yeah. to, to, to heal from it. Mm-hmm. you know, and, um, but nobody can tell you what that right time is. Right. I don't, no. I don't think that there's, that's, that's an individual thing. I, I don't think we can even tell ourselves either because no. sometimes we, that the biggest pressure can actually come from ourselves to say, right, you need to deal with this story now. Well, actually you don't, there, it, there will be a time and that time will turn up and that story will often just spill out then. And it happened again the other night with another writer where again, it was a, a, a trauma was related to it. And again, it was going right back. He was going right back. It's something that happened to him when he was born. Mm-hmm. And this story just needed to be heard. And I was like, wow, okay, now is clearly the time because it just all came out. And I was like, okay, this is ready now. Right. This is ready. You're ready to tell this story. Your mind is ready to, to I'm, I'm, I want this to be heard as well. And again, it was more than himself. This story needed to be told to other people. Um, yeah. I think we know instinctively what the best way um to process some of this is it's just that we don't realize but I think that writing has been one of the biggest helps for me Mm -hmm. personally to be able to to have that escape Mm -hmm. to share it yeah without having to share it yeah Mm mm-hmm you know, I, it's between me and the paper, right? But I'm still sharing. Yeah. I'm still letting it out of my my mind, and I'm putting it down, and I'm I'm processing through everything that I you know went through, and writing it down, and writing down how I felt, and writing down, you know, what happened, who I got mad at, and why I was angry, and why I felt betrayed, or why I felt mm-hmm. sad, or why I felt. Um, whatever emotion, you know, in, in anything that happened, you know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, it's just one of those things that you're just like, I, I ha- it's my time to let go. It's my time. I'm ready. Um, and yeah, so, uh, I just feel like writing has helped a lot joining that group, having support too, like, that's the other piece to my writing. Having that support mm-hmm. system with London Writers Group, you know, has been a huge thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You know, 
I haven't participated, I don't think, the whole month of November. I have been kind of MIA because of everything that's happening in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do plan on getting, like, right back on track. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe. In but this is, this. well, again, there's no, there's no. Pressure. Yeah. That's, the, yeah. that's the nice thing. I yeah. can show up when I want to. And I think as well, again, when I was talking, I was talking, having this conversation this week, I said, we're writing about real life events. We're not writing fiction. So we're right. not sitting down and saying, like, I'm making this story up. Let's just sit down and get through it and see where it yeah. goes. We are tapping into um, memories and experiences that have big emotions attached to them. And you can't, you can't force that. I did try once. We had an open mic night when I very first started um using spoken word as a, a way and it wasn't I'm going to use spoken word to process my trauma it just it just happened as I'm sure you as well it just happened with the writing it just became this really natural process but we had an open mic night so I was like I really want to get this piece finished for open mic night and it was it was a really big moment it was the moment when I'd landed after falling five or five stories and it was Rose who had found me And it was the moment I became paralyzed. And I wrote about that experience of um, Rose finding me and that it helped me really reframe it. And I got to put myself in Rose's shoes as well. So that was a a really new way of seeing, like you said about that, being able to step out of it and see it from an alternate view. But I pushed myself to try and get it ready for this open mic. And it was totally the wrong thing to do. And I was like, I'm not just making up some fictional thing right. like going for a walk on the beach and describing the sunset. Like I'm right. going into something that just like counseling, you can't push that or force that either. It's almost like an unfolding of a process. Like it's, I think it was like a flower bud, you know, like if you try right. and force a flower bud open, you're going to damage it. You just need, it will open, but in its own pace and time, you just need to let it unfurl. No. And I, and I did, I did therapy for a lot of years. Right. Um, I absolutely am still, I still am in contact with my therapist from, um, from the state that I lived in before. Um, Mm -hmm. And I let her know she's the one that put the like little seed in my brain to write a book. Um, Mm. And so then, you know, I let her know that I decided that, you know, I was going to follow this, this process. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she's like super excited for me and all that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, this idea to change and morph how I'm going to write and, and mm-hmm. the process that I want to do this in. Um, cause I don't want to give away too much, you know, it's gotta be, <laughs> you know, special. Um, yeah. so instead of one book, there's going to be multiple books, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's now in my brain. Um, mm-hmm. because I do enjoy writing. I really, really enjoy. And, and the words do just kind of flow when I sit down and I just give myself the the space to just write. Mm. Right. But for me, it's a different type of writing. It's a, it's not like your poetry, which is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I love, love your, your poetry. It's amazing. Mine's very analytical. It's very, very grammatical it's that's Mm -hmm. that's how I write right so it's not Mm -hmm. it's not poetic um sometimes it can be I can Mm -hmm. get you you are like I look when some of the writing I have seen although it's more for like uh like you say web copy or or blog like it it is poetic writing in there right but it's not definitely not quite the same way that yours is poetic no I sometimes I I (laughs) 
I well, some of the big pieces I do sit. So the big trauma pieces, which I have, I actually stopped when COVID started because I couldn't go into a big personal trauma when we were expect experiencing like a big global trauma. It was too right. much. I was like, I can't go into that place right now. So my style shifted right completely, and I suddenly started doing these really um, like the one that happened today. I just sit and get still. And then suddenly all these a flurry of words just arrives. And I've realized like my job in those moments is to catch them. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like I have to like, okay, just stop what you're doing. I could be doing the washing up and it just suddenly all lands like a whole poem yeah. or just suddenly land. And I'm like, where did that? And then I don't even ask myself, where did that come from now? I'm just like, oh, okay, that's finished. It landed. So right. I started moving away from taking weeks to write something and really thinking about I don't think about the construction in terms of one of my friends said to me, oh, that was a really wonderful ending of a conjunctive um, verbatim something ended disclosure or whatever. And I was like, I have no idea what you just said. And it, if that's what it is, it wasn't planned. It just felt it just came out and that's where it ended. It wasn't. So I'm not technical in that sense of thinking how stuff goes together. Technically, I just kind of go with the flow of what happens and what seems to fit together naturally, hence the feral nature of it. Um, so I, I think we all have that in us as well. I think we're taught through school because of the technical aspects of it that we're not writers. It's like visual art. Of course, we're all writers. We all speak language, all of us. Right. We are telling stories all the time. Like we are natural born storytellers. Like we, we do it almost, again, as soon as we start speaking, we're telling stories and we're made to feel that we, we aren't writers. We aren't storytellers, but all of us are. We just have our own way and style, I think. I mean, it, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, our, we're taught in elementary school, mm -hmm. reading, you mm -hmm. read books. I mean, through, at least here in the U.S., books are a huge part of education reading and, mm -hmm. and writing and so yeah um although my kids dislike it very very much <laughs> i love to I read think, i loved yeah, um, all different some people are audio though no it, it, my son is absolutely audio a hundred percent he's audio visual mm -hmm. um my younger daughter is definitely a little into reading but it's really got to be like really what she wants to read mm -hmm. um for me I can read just about anything you mm -hmm. can put it in front of me and I'll I'll read it um mm -hmm. but uh it, it's funny because I was just having a conversation with their dad this morning um because mm -hmm. the kids are kind of struggling with this virtual learning yeah. stuff, yeah. right? Like it's really hard for them to really get engaged. Um, my kids have a really short time period that they're actually um, interacting with their teachers. Um, mm -hmm. They only get two hours a day. So it's wow. really short. Yeah. It's in the middle of the afternoon. So they're really, by that point in the day, they're already they're not switching off. Yeah. yeah I, like, I switch off at that time. I'm ready for like food. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like right out, like right at lunchtime is when they jump mm -hmm. into class. Like they've already had all morning to kind of like hang out and do whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, you know, in the mornings I'm doing other things. I have work going on. I have jobs that I'm doing. I'm working on client pieces and whatever, or, mm -hmm. you know, other things going on. So um, by the time class hits, they're not fully engaged anyways, then 
you know, they get bored really easily because it's all interactive through a Zoom meeting and and they're just, it's just not engaging for them. So they're really, my two are struggling. Um, mm-hmm. And their dad said, well, you need to help them. And I'm like, I can only help them so much. They have to do the work, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's a really weird balance between me doing the work for them. <laughs> and I think, going, you know, yeah. See, yeah. I'm not a parent, so I haven't experienced that, but I have said, I've really similar conversations with a lot of friends. And you, and also because my, but I was, a, I was the child of a teacher. So my mum was very much like you do it yourself. Yeah. Unless you get super, 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 super really stuck. Yeah. You do it yourself yeah. because that's how you learn. And that's how the teaching can grade you properly to see where you're at, right. not where you're at with your parents' help. So we were always very much like you sit down and get on with your homework. Right. I always tell them to, yeah. to try it first. And then mm-hmm. if they you know, try it, then let me look at it. And if it's mm-hmm. wrong, then we'll kind of go through and I'll say, okay, let's mm-hmm. go through step-by-step step so you can see, and I can explain to you what you did wrong. If it's a, mm-hmm. a problem that you're really, really struggling on, but you, you yeah. have to try it by yourself first. Like, yeah, yeah. you haven't even tried it. I'm not helping you yet. Right. Yeah. It's a really good life skill to have, though, because how many of us would just give up? Like I'm like right. me with my knitting. <laughs> we were right. talking about this before this call because I was like, I'm really stuck on my knitting pattern. And I actually would have gone running to my mom. In fact, one of the poems I wrote was about knitting. Right. I'm running to my mom. Maybe right. we should share the knitting poem. But yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was it was I just think, actually, no, you need to sit down and figure this out. Don't just take the easy short route, which is go see your mom, like sit right. and figure it out. It's the only way you will learn. It's the only way you train your eye and your brain to see these patterns. So I think getting writing better. is the same way. Right. Mm. Like a lot of us don't understand like that writing for healing, especially mm-hmm. like we we write to heal. But when we hit that hard point. Yeah, we stop because we're like, nope, mm-mm. and we kind of just yeah. step back. We don't want to deal with it. But if we just like we teach our like I teach my kids in school. Right. And I'm I told their dad, like they have to try and they have to do it for themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing comes with writing to heal. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to do it yourself. Like nobody can. Yeah, nobody can write it for you. Yeah. Right. So um like, and I think it's well, just been yeah. leaps and bounds, such a huge step in my life in healing mm-hmm. from my past traumas. Um, and every day it just gets better. Like more and more, I'm able to talk about things that I've been mm-hmm. through that I haven't been able to talk about in yeah. 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm able to process it. It's not as emotional to talk about the things it's still Mm -hmm. emotional but it's not yeah like it's not this overwhelming oh my god a tsunami i have to go it's a a tsunami wave yeah Yeah. i I have to crawl into bed and i'm not leaving bed for the next three days because yeah like the anxiety comes in and the nightmares and the Mm -hmm. migraines and everything just like sinks on top of me Mm -hmm. like it doesn't it doesn't overwhelm me like that Mm -hmm. quite so much anymore yeah, I think it gives us the space to own our own stories. And um, but somebody did ask this. So the first piece that I ever wrote for Spoken Word that I shared was actually because I thought, what happens if I have a panic attack on stage? Um, because I was having a lot of panic attacks because of PTSD at that point. I was my fight or flight was so highly triggered. Like I, I things would just I'd just be walking down the road and it, I'd just go. But 
I thought, oh, maybe I need to just explain beforehand. I'm sorry if this happens. It, it, it might be a panic attack. But so my first piece I actually wrote was a piece about having a panic attack. Um, I shared this. Uh, um, I was invited to do it. Actually, I did it at an open mic and then I did it at a curated spoken word um, event evening. And this guy actually sent an email afterwards, which was just beautiful because it's the first time I'd stood up and been asked to like share at one of those events and he said he'd never he said I never witnessed anything like that at a spoken word event he said it was literally like a wave of emotion and he said I was sat at the back and he said I couldn't understand what was happening at first but you could see it going from raw to raw to raw to raw and it was almost like this wave of emotion came out from you from the stage almost before the words landed and it just rippled all through the audience. And then he said it suddenly hit me at the back and he was like, wow, okay. Like I can, I get what's just happened. But even then it's like, I have had a panic attack on stage and that was horrific. But I find even the sharing of the writing and the sharing of the story, I know that that is still a safe space, but yeah. I've just gone into a complete meltdown and, um, it's helped me learn to what I need as a human being and what I need as a writer and being able to ask for that, which again, we're not taught always to understand right. where our boundaries are and what our needs are. So even the practice of sharing the story really helps me to um, understand how to manage trauma as well and fear. Right. Yeah. No. It's like an extreme sport. It's like throwing yourself out of an airplane. <laughs> But it's the exact same emotions, the same reaction. Like yeah. your body, yeah, your body can't tell. Okay, I'm actually on a stage. I'm not chucking myself out of plane, but it's the exact same reaction. Going yeah, your body on. naturally goes into fight or flight, and you're yeah. like, "Oh my god, it's what's like, happening? <laughs> I know why are you making me do this." <laughs> no, uh, it. I, I, do you know what? I would love to say it gets easier, but I say this to everybody: having stood there from organizing spoken word nights as well, and mm. seeing some people who have done this for years, and it is their full-time job everything some really big names they're still going to this state of um some of them completely shut down and it's like i just need to be in my little zone and they're writing or they're just focusing on something and they're ignoring everybody around them and they, then they change obviously afterwards once they've been on stage and done their thing they're, they're different some people actually go the other way and get really extroverted and really like, Ooh, and that's their way of dealing with the anxiety of getting up on stage and sharing, like right. bearing their soul really. So it, I would, I keep saying to people, I like to say it gets easier with the fear thing of sharing your story, but I think, well, that means you care. Like the day you stop feeling that fear is I think the day that you have stopped caring really. Like, mm. Yeah. I definitely yeah. get scared because I, care, I really care about um sharing with people and what the message is and yeah yeah and and connecting with them and helping them hopefully through right. the words as well no absolutely and I think that's where both of us are at with the podcast with mm -hmm. yeah sharing our spoken your spoken word um our spoken word with podcast mm -hmm. um with our writing and our books yeah. and mm -hmm in our writing and our blogs and our, you know, mm -hmm. all of our sharing, um, everything is all about, hopefully it helps someone somewhere, somehow, just a little bit, just an ounce of help somewhere, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 
because I think this for us if we were just writing this for ourselves it'd be enough as I said to just write it down and to say this is the story of what happened to me but for us it's it's more than that and it's not just even sharing it once it's this ongoing process of of storytelling for people because that that's just how we we always look going right back it's been really interesting because I I got challenged um I was sat in a group with uh, charities and like third sector. So it's all like uh, not-for-profit and things. And people who want to help other people heal. And I was talking about writing and how the, for us it is the spoken word because that's what we do, but it created this space for people to start sharing their stories. And I got completely led into by these two people from two different organizations going on about, have you got your safeguarding and this and that and the other. And I was like, whoa, like, just back off <laughs> because it's like saying to an art gallery, okay, well, you need to have all this safeguarding things in place. I'm like, hang on, you can't tell me as a creative practitioner, as a writer, what I'm allowed to write about and what other people are allowed to write about. That is their story. If they feel right. ready in their own private time to sit and write about this, yeah, and we simply give them the space and hold that space safely as we do with love for that person if they feel they want to stand up and share that story. So I said, it's not counseling. It's not trauma therapy. We're not yep. giving any advice or any of that. We are simply providing a space like an art gallery, whatever is hung on those walls, that's the artist's choice. We purely provide the space to hold that. So um, sometimes while I get frustrated as a creative practitioner, when the, and I understand why the red tape is there, there will have been things in the past that have created the need for it, but yeah. sometimes that also then creates a barrier to people being able to write and share. And, and we didn't, yeah, we didn't have the red tape traditionally. We would sit and gather as a community to listen to each other's stories, to heal through sharing stories and shared experience. And I'm like, this is the oldest form of healing that probably almost exists. You can't take that away from people with all the red tape in place. So, right. Yeah, I get quite And everybody crazy. always knew who the town crazy was. I mean, that was easy to figure out because he always had the crazy stories. Mm, that like, probably would be me. <laughs> <laughs> but you I know what even- I mean? Like, like... People knew each other. I think that's the other piece. Like there's a a big sense of community that we have lost by taking away sharing with each other the story, sharing with each other. It's very curated. Social media is a very curated, unless you get people who just do brain splurges and don't think there's no filter there at all. It's just literally (laughs) on the mobile. Sorry, Heidi's just waving her hand. But, um, you know, like there's no brain. Yeah, yeah. This is what my brain just spit out. Uh, Like just phones are dangerous. You know, if you had to actually log onto a laptop and then get to the trouble of posting something, it would create at least a barrier for you people to stop and think like, do I really want to say this? But uh, yeah, we it's oh, it's very curated, and there's a very polished story that we're telling the world because right. of pressure. I think rather than that genuine sitting face to face, I have a women's group that I do miss because we would sit and share face to face, like a women's circle, right. and you know, just that experience of just telling each other our stories and yeah, about life and the world around us. It's just so powerful. And I'm thinking, God, we would have done this all the time. And now it's a rare occurrence that we have to schedule in. Right. As an event. Yeah. Right. Coffee mm-hmm. and a book, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. 
There's so much to writing. I as something, yeah, we could talk about it for days, I think. I know, like, we could. But we have another session about writing and healing coming next week. Mm-hmm. We have a guest speaker. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Your friend. Mm-hmm. Alyssa is going to be joining us. Yeah, my friend Alyssa. Yeah, the, the first time. So Alyssa is part of my spoken word um, friends in the local town. And I met Alyssa when I first started writing and she just started as well. And it was incredible. So the first time I met Alyssa, complete stranger. And it was only me and her at, at this. We were starting like a little gathering for people that wanted to start writing spoken word poetry. So, I mean, Alyssa, would, it was just the two of us there that night. We'd never met each other, but the first night we met, I sat and read her marriage vows to her because she was about to get married. Oh, she she'd, she'd written them as spoken word poetry, but she said, like, I need, I need someone to read these to me so I can hear them, so I can figure out what changes I, I want to make. So I actually sat and read her marriage vows to her. It was incredible. And then for me, I had literally, I said to her, I don't quite know who I am as a writer and what I'm writing about because I'd opened my poetry book and on one side, there was this story about um, Paul, my landlord and his pigeon clacker, which was, it's just a really ridiculous little, actually it's quite a beautiful um, spoken word piece in the end. It's it's about um, our everyday kind of um, rituals that we have. But so there was Paul and his pigeon clacker on one side page and then facing that just before I'd obviously gone for another counseling session and it was the first time they'd had me curate um well whether the likelihood of me committing suicide and it was the experience of doing that and that's a piece I still need to finish I was working on it a few weeks ago but it just this thing about being given this globby leaking black biro pen and misprinted cheap paper to sign away the most precious thing that I own just felt so symbolic it really knocked me a lot it affected me deeply and I was like wow so I had to write about you like you say writing that piece still hasn't been finished yet because I'm not ready yet to fully return to it right but I would have gone home and sat with that and I thought I can't sit with this so I sat and wrote about it and I got it out and then I was able to say, right, okay, I can close the book for now on that. At some point, I want to go back and really process that and share it. But, um, and I read that to Alyssa. I read that to some dude never met me before about the experience of, of you know, suicidal, my, how likely I was to take my own life. Um, and I was like, wow, okay. So me and her had really intense uh, sharing of some really precious um life-changing moments for each right. other and it's so funny because people who've met us since were like oh yeah you've known each other years and me and her were like no we've only met four times but <laughs> I was like when you've shared those kind of stories or experiences straight right. off the bat with somebody like that's the power of writing like once you've shared that intimate story and all those barriers and boundaries have dropped down to share the moment where I'm marrying my soulmate the moment where somebody asked me how likely are you to take your life like when you've shared those stories straight away like suddenly all of that stuff just falls away and your friends like yeah like when I shared the story with Howie on some of the things that happened in Iraq Mm -hmm. or you know when I talk to people about my mom's death you know Mm -hmm. those types of things those things I mean they're super emotional and you build this deep connection with people 
that, you know, it, it, that is a whole different level of connection. It is. It really is. It's just, uh, yeah. Like I said, all those barriers just drop. So next yeah, week it's amazing. Exciting, though. Next week. Will be yeah. She, she does like, um, she's, we, I, what I love about my friends that I see developing the spoken word is we've all got our own unique style and I'm all for that. You know, like I said, all of us are storytellers. We're made to feel that we can't, um, speak either. Like I've got a slight list. And I also can't really pronounce my R's properly. So I used to get teased when I was a kid. And my list was actually getting worse, I think. But um, one of my... So I have a friend who's a composer actually said to me, I love the way you pronounce your S's. It's the first time he'd heard me speak. Because we were like online, friends. Oh, yeah. And then I I sent him a poem. And I was like, oh, do you know what? So the first time he heard me speak was one of my poems. And he was like, I love the way you pronounce your S's. They're very ethereal. And I was like, oh, no, that's, I have a, a slight lisp. Like, that's just how I speak. And he's like, oh, I thought you would do it on purpose. I was like, no, no, that's just how I talk. And he's like, well, don't, don't lose it. And I thought, well, we're made to feel that we, we can't write properly. I don't, I write in bad grammar sometimes. Like, I really do, you know? Right. And like, I just think, well, that's how I speak. Right. That's how I'm going to write. So, but we're made to feel that we're not perfect. I'm not great at writing. I don't understand grammar. I have a lisp. You know, I don't like my accent. But oh, I love people, your accent. I could, I could uh, listen to your accent for days. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy. I, I'm quite happy with my accent. I can't hear it, but yeah, on my lisp, I do still hear that a little bit. But I'm like everybody's beautiful in their own way. What makes us unique is how you, how you share your story. Yeah. I wish we all could just get on with sharing stories it'd be beautiful Mm. yeah absolutely so next week will be a a fun episode i'm excited for it and yeah 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 so we'll we'll dive more into writing for healing and really get into it shall we do a spoken word piece sure what should i do i thought you said do you have the knitting one on you i do have the knitting one hang on uh, I wasn't sure whether to do some lockdown poetry. Lockdown poetry. Everything awesome. changed. I do you know what? I, I'm putting Quarantine a book together. Aren't I? <laughs> yeah, no. My, what did my friend call it? The COVID Chronicles. She's been writing spoken word like nearly every like day. But um, yeah, let me find the knit. Oh, where's the knitting one? This arrived during London Writers' Salon. I write, sometimes they just turn up and I'm just like, oh, where? Oh, see. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's got swearing in. I can't. Naughty. I know. Why are you swearing in your poetry? I I don't every time, but it is literally what my mind said. I can mark it as an an explicit episode. Should we mark it as an explicit episode? Sure, why not? Oh, let's just do it. Let's just do it. (laughs) I feel like... I'm just going to drop the F-bomb straight in here. I don't swear every time. The other time was the, the pterodactyl, where you are a freaking pterodactyl. Maybe we should do that one as well. I'm going to do knitting and pterodactyl. Just use the word fluffy instead of... Fluffy pterodactyl doesn't work. <laughs> okay. This is a poem about knitting and life. I feel like I'm doing a solo, like, poetry thing for you. No. This is amazing, no, Hardy. I love this. Right, okay. So, oh, fuck. Look, a knot, not where it ought to be, but there nonetheless a knotted mess in my supposedly smooth thread. A scenario every knitter dreads. 
How naughty to be so naughty. Tricked into believing this thread was whole, I followed it diligently, stitch by stitch, along my armhole. Frustration at my naive patience. Gullible belief shot to pieces. This is what knitting teaches me about life. What now? Unravel and reverse all that hard work or push on headstrong regardless making the best of this holy unholy holy mess. I confess I don't know. What would my mum do? Ow! I like it! <laughs> Knitting! See? Yay. Who knew? Writing about knitting and life. Who knew it could be so beautiful? Gosh. Uh, and you could sound so elegant and amazing. What, knitting sweaters? Yeah. <laughs> you get me knitting a lot, don't you? I'm like, I've just dropped some stitches. You can now hear me every time I say it, you, I've just messed my knitting up. You'll hear me saying that. Oh, fuck, look, I'm not. <laughs> I've dropped a stitch. Oh, okay. Should we do pterodactyl? What is pterodactyl? Uh, have I got, I don't know if I've got it in here. Pterodact so pterodactyl, I wrote... Pterodactyl first came when I was walking back from one of my counseling sessions and um Ooh. yeah so <laughs> I had 15 minutes they used to take me 15 minutes to walk from the doctor's surgery to home and those 15 minutes were actually really good because they gave me time to think about stuff on the way to the surgery or process it on the way back home and I just suddenly realized one of the reasons that I got really ill, aside from all the, the trauma underneath everything, was that I had got into a situation with work where I completely lost myself, my sense of identity, everything. I'd given too much to everyone else. I had nothing left for me. And it, it had made me so ill. And I just had this thing of like, you are not a canary. You are a freaking pterodactyl. And I was marching down the roads. Just honestly, it became this mantra. So by the time I got home... I was obviously staying with my mum and dad because they were carers for me at the time. I, I marched through the front door and all my mum heard me was like, did it go okay? And I was like, I am not a canary. I'm a freaking pterodactyl. And then walked off and she was like, okay. I don't know what that means, but fine. And that's where this poetry came from. I, I wrote this recently because I was like, we, people, we need to, this more pterodactyls in the world, Heidi. You're a pterodactyl. I'm telling you now. Okay. I'm a giraffe. <laughs> You're a freaking pterodactyl giraffe. I'm a giraffe. <laughs> so I have something to tell you. A secret to share with you. If you lend me your ears open wide, your heart and abstain from all of your fears. You. My fierce one. You are not a canary. You are a freaking pterodactyl and nothing and no one can kid you unless you let them clip your wings, crush your dreams and tame your wild, wild flight. You have been sold a lie, told a sorry tale for you remain a vibrant spark locked in a metal box, dragged into the dark, dark depths as a slave to save a man's life. You believe you were born to be sacrificed. Vivacious sunshine, now smothered in soot. Behind the grime bars, a blackened thumbprint pressed and left against the catch of the latch of your cage. Men wait in trepidation for your soft, fluttering breast. 
to beat its last beat and breathe its last breath. But you, you are not the oppressed. Open your eyes in this dim half light, awake and take flight, for you are not a canary. You are a freaking pterodactyl, and nothing and no one can cage you. I have something to tell you, a secret to share with you. If you lend me your ears, open wide your heart and abstain from all of your fears. You, my beloved, you are not a nightingale. You are a freaking pterodactyl and nothing and no one can cage you unless you let them steal your voice, take away your free choice and break your wild, wild will. You have been sold a lie, sung a sad song for you, believe you belong trapped in this gilded cage. In this demure vessel nestles a golden voice treasure, forced to sing on the whim of others for their advancement and pleasure. Men feather their caps from your melancholy tones that will lay your melancholy tail, but you, you are not for sale. Open your mind to this silver tongue cage. Fill your lungs not with notes of love, but with justified rage, for you are not a nightingale. You are a freaking pterodactyl, and nothing and no one can cage you. There you are. You're a freaking pterodactyl. I love it. <laughs> we got to turn See? that. We got to, you got to start sharing more. That's awesome. I love it. I love listening to you. I want to get a t-shirt with, I'm a freaking pterodactyl or something on it. And you know, like when you see someone else wearing one in the street, you're just like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like my friend Paul shouts that at me now. Obviously through um, like Messenger, Facebook Messenger. I'm, you're a freaking pterodactyl, but it's a little mantra for life. Don't ever forget you're a pterodactyl. Never forget it. I'm a mm -hmm. giraffe. Pterodactyl giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I know. Right? <laughs> yeah. What a wonderful week. We have a, a great week. We have. Yeah. It's almost Christmas. Keep writing. It is almost Christmas. Just keep writing. Keep writing. I feel like we're finding Dory, but with words. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Broken Road Podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode where a near and dear friend of Rachel's will join us and share her journey of using writing to heal.